Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Welcome to the Robert Dowd Show. I'm your host, Robert Dowd, where we visit a multitude of facets of philosophy, thoughts throughout the week, questions from listeners, interviews, and basically whatever we can get our hands on that sounds interesting. Thanks for stopping by again on Monday. I'd like to congratulate us on 38 out of the 50 listeners that I need to have the ambassador listening commercials so that way we can start feeding a little bit back into the channel i'm really excited about that thanks for always stopping by every week and seeing what's going on it's been a busy week there's a lot of stuff going on around us there's people shooting down balloons russian balloons and ufos and there's plenty of things to look at as far as what's going on in mainstream media I'm going to kind of narrow it down into jumping down the rabbit hole of what's been going on this week as far as with the holiday, a few thoughts that I, I came up with for ideas of things you can do for people who are special. I had a couple of those. Then I'm going to move on into the bulk of things that are going on. What I want to get down to at the beginning here is things aren't ever perfect with what's going on in life. They're regular. Things go on their own way. Agendas get hijacked. You're going to do something. I've mentioned this in past podcasts. You end up getting a flat tire. Something happens. You run into someone. I've never been really good at controlling time. Anytime I run into someone and I end up catching up, I don't put a timer on stuff like that. Me and mom used to have something that we used to talk about. And it would be like, don't microwave me. Don't cook me. You can't put a timer on someone. And anytime you're forced to have an interaction and there's that time in the background, you don't have the same interaction that you would have had if you just were throwing caution to the wind. And it makes me think of a couple different things. I did sit around and watch uh, Office Space (laughs) this last week. And... It kind of reminds you of how culture can hijack your state of mind. And instead of being hijacked, you can buck it, and then they think that that's it. And sometimes social interactions are like that. Uh, If you're talking to someone and they're looking to get something out of it and they're not as entertained, if you back up, I think we talked about that a little bit in Art of War. If you back up, the yin and yang of things, everything's like that. The give and take conversation, the push and pull. Sometimes if you're giving too much attention, you back off. If you're uh, in something like that, that can make your interaction go smoother. But that's not what I'm here to talk about. I had a quote, and this one always strikes true to me. I always think about Ferris Bueller and how he says... And Ferris Bueller's Day Off, if you haven't seen it, watch the movie. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. And that goes for everything. The reason why I'm always talking about conversations is it's important that you reach out to people you love, Valentine's Day, and have that conversation. Knock something out. Um, There's a few things that you could do to actually kickstart that. If you have a Spotify, I know you guys are listening to me on Spotify. If you have a Spotify, Spotify is something called Blend. You have to put it in the search bar and create a playlist. 
and how I would describe doing that is getting on Google and not having me butcher it. But this, what blend is, is it's your taste of music with someone else's taste of music. It shoves them together and makes a playlist. And it's really fun. It's fun to do with people you love, whether it be a best friend or maybe it's somebody, you know, you, you, you're getting a hanky-pank on with. <laughs> but whatever, whatever floats your boat. If you're celebrating Valentine's Day, blend Spotify playlists are a great way to do it. I encourage you to do something thoughtful for who you love. Other than making a playlist with them, if you're sitting together and you know how you go to jump on TV and stream something, instead of jumping onto your account, jump onto their account and watch something that they watch. Continue watching or maybe you could find similar interests and that's a great way to get down with people you love kind of doing what they want to do as opposed to doing what you want to do just reach outside of yourself and be selfless and I think that that's a great way to get your point across that you love someone and they'll probably love you back more for it all right fantastic so we usually jump into questions later but I'm going to go ahead and push that up because DJ sent in a question and this question really got me. I don't know how I'm supposed to pull. I started miniaturizing my pictures for the notes in my poo-poo year 2000s laptop that moves whenever it wants and now it's crashed on us. (laughs) Great. The show's going off the rails. Okay, so DJ listened to our very first episode and something struck true to him, feeling like a number. He wanted to mention something, so we're going to highlight the particular corner of the room that he's in and see what's going on over there. So he says, sometimes I feel like I'm part of a herd instead, not at work necessarily, but as a member of the cultural zeitgeist. It seems obvious that it's not a good thing, and generally, yes, that's true, but do we have to say it's bad all the time or just most of the time? Of course, getting back to him, I said, that's a lot to think about. Let me go ahead and see if I can pull up the second part of the conversation here, and we're going to elaborate on feeling like a number, but another perspective, feeling like part of the herd. Not feeling like a number as if you're singled out. As a member of the cultural zeitgeist, I, being the guy that I am, had to pin down the word zeitgeist before I could go for it. So I looked it up, did a little research. I wanted to do more research on herd mentalities. I didn't get around to it. But zeitgeist uh, comes from German origin. Zeitgeist, the noun, uh, zeitgeist, the defining spirit or mood of a particular period of history as shown by the ideas and beliefs of the time. Zeit in German is time. Geist in German is spirit. He, he said, he was replying to me in our conversation, if we aren't a hive mind, but we aren't isolated realities either. Well, if you got time, I'd love to hear what you got to offer about it. Well, we do have time, and we're going to make some time. I do think history is being rewritten as the victors, the younger generation, the ones who have outlived the past, 
are simply the ones who are younger than the parts of the past that are dying off. I think they feel as if they're rewriting it. And that's very relevant to the cultural zeitgeist that's going on, the time and spirit. It's safe to say they have the tools to do so that those people in the past didn't either. Trends are always coming and going. The trend is always significant in the time, down to even a herd thought process. What I mean, not to sound too cryptic, is the way the herd thinks now won't be the way they think in 20 years. Because the herd mentality will have changed. Not just work, because we're excluding that, but cultural. A bad, bad, bad example, which I'm very good at, but how words are redefined every day. So, and that's very trend-influenced, where it used to be we all used to consult Webster's. We don't really consult Webster's anymore. We just jump on the internet, and if something's changed, then everybody kind of catches the memo because you Google it, and if you use the wrong word, you get ripped apart. If we had someone influential come to this time and talk, we would rip them apart. Anybody from the past two or three hundred years if they were sitting at the table across from us they would probably use something that's not culturally viable and they'd get cancelled <laughs> then when they ask us what it is to be cancelled we'd probably laugh at them and they'd have to just leave <laughs> unless we could talk to them and be civil which that doesn't happen a lot in the cancel culture thing I always worry about what I say on the podcast just because if you focus enough on anyone and I decide to lay my brains out on the floor, I splattered them all around the floor like uh, my like when you get suicide in the soda dispenser at Subway. I just splatter my brains all over the floor and allow you guys to consult me at 3 a.m. if you can't sleep and hopefully my voice helps you get to sleep and I hope it's soothing. I think the reason why it's given a negative connotation to be a part of the herd is we all inside want to be seen as unique. On my opinion of the fence, something I deal with as a human is when someone refers to people and they shove me in the box with them. No one likes being in the box. I honestly think it's unfair to be there because it limits the potential of what you can create or enrich or produce or your thought process. Something innately tells me when I'm in a box that I can't be allowed to freeform. It feels very A or B. How I ended up learning this, I don't know if I've mentioned this before. A lot of my stories are always repeat, but I'm trying to put the wisdom out there in their different contexts. I always consult different stories in different contexts and one time I was introducing me and an older boss that I used to work with and I was feeling out the water it wasn't a power dynamic it might have been a power dynamic to him but we were in a social setting and I was kind of the lead on a job and I introduced him as my colleague and he didn't know the definition of colleague he wasn't well versed in and he isn't always well-versed. He's that type of person in what words mean. Sometimes it doesn't matter what something, excuse me, it doesn't matter what something means. It means much more how you say it. We hear that all the time. People say, 
it's not it's not what you say it's how you say it and that is true to a certain extent anyway with what was going on with him he didn't understand the definition of colleague and he said introduce me as your boss or introduce me as my name and he tried to sit me down and talk to me about it and I didn't get it until I kind of sat down and had some time to mull it over that's what I always say a lot of people don't like that a lot of these southern sayings these little words that I used to were you know because it's trending we're just shoving stuff in there where it goes mull it over I always picture is something like when a bird is trying to digest something they put it in their craw and I don't think I'm getting the mental picture across. I might not have just dropped that one. Or maybe like when a snake is trying to digest something big. They eat it and then they have to sit on it for a while so it goes through. This was one of those things. I had to kind of take it home and mull it over. And after I was mulling it over, I got it. He didn't want to be put in a box. He was trying to explain that, but he wasn't very articulate. And I'm guilty of not being very articulate sometimes as well, but I'm working on that. And nothing, like I said at the beginning of the episode, nothing's ever perfect. You're always dealing with your... If you have an agenda, you're always dealing with it being hijacked. And it's going to be hijacked. Before I have a ritual, before I sit down and record the podcast, and before I can even get that ritual going, you have intrusive thoughts. Maybe your voice isn't ready. Maybe you haven't had enough coffee. Maybe you haven't went to the restroom. Maybe you haven't done something like when you're getting ready to kindle a fire and the fire's not ready to go because you missed a crucial component to that fire being set. Um, there's that um word again. I had my, my agenda hijacked by something that's going on. A friend reaching out to me with a need. And of course I'm getting ready to record. I'm really sensitive before time to record because I've dwelled on this stuff all week. I usually start writing about Thursday. This time I started writing exactly a week ago because the herd mentality thing set me off. Because we're all a part of the herd in some way. It's not all negative to be with the herd though. The herd does survive. We sell to the system. We sell ourselves to the system. The system does overcome. I do wonder why the instinct is to wrap it up in a shit-colored bow. (coughs) Excuse me. I think we all don't agree with everyone in line. No one minds being in the herd when it comes time to eat, though, which is the weird thing. Also, if you've managed to find a way to be appreciated as part of the herd and not as part of the herd that you found a way to nurture your ego, that's good and bad, too. An ego can be the defense of a person. It can also be the defense of greed. Someone was telling me about pizza theory. This is just weird, but let me tell you about pizza theory. So it's the thought process. I was explaining this to a friend the other day, too. Because this is really neat to think about. I don't know who came up with pizza theory. That's a Google question. Let's say... Me, you, and two other friends are hanging out and we buy one pizza. Of course, we haven't bought enough pizza. We probably should should have bought two pieces of pizza. Or not pieces. Two pizzas. We probably should have bought two pizzas and sat down with them. But instead, we all sit down with one pizza. No one's going to go to each person who's eating pizza and say, you get two or three slices, you get two or three slices, 
you get two or three slices because that's not gonna that's not cool maybe somebody's gonna eat one slice and someone else is gonna be hungrier that here we go pizza theory it starts kicking in or I justify why I need more pizza and I'm I'm not as big as that guy so I can eat one piece and the fairness thing gets thrown out the window with pizza theory they use it as a metaphor for certain parts of capitalism I don't know I don't know how it, that's how it came up in conversation it was a metaphor for certain parts of capitalism I don't know how we got there uh, that's a deep rabbit hole to go down and it might lead you there if you jump down the pizza theory Google rabbit hole I haven't been down that rabbit hole I just heard the story and it struck true kind of like it fell in line with the seven deadly sins or something uh, which are that's that's a subject for another podcast but one of them was greed envy lust all of those things come back down to pizza theory it's weird but instead of everyone having a couple slices of pizza someone's going to be tempted there to take an extra slice if they're hungry enough or not take an extra slice because they want someone else to have it and we have all these human mechanized ways of justifying that extra slice of pizza or not having it or there's a subtle conversation being had there that we don't have because it's just pizza but if you think far in enough to it those thought processes are actually happening and going on i saw a really interesting podcast this past week and i wanted to draw attention to it i think i'm going to talk about that later i won't i won't drop the herd thing how we aren't part of the hive mind and how we aren't isolated entities is we all end up relating somewhere. I've been using the term organic a lot. I think that in itself, the hive mind and how we aren't isolated entities is a bit, it's a little bit organic. The market itself feeds off of it, but our ability to have it regardless of what comes up is pretty cool. I think that goes very far back. Maybe that's us up in the trees looking down, realizing we're the same species. And now it's the tables we sit at and the cars we drive. Just had a different face painted on it. And faces can frown or smile depending on the mood they're in at least. So what I'm getting at here is being a part of the herd. And it's not all downside. It is actually upside. Something that I believed has transformed with the herd is comedy. How it only makes sense that if you have the same joke over and over, you have to come up with a new one to get a genuine reaction out of the person you're telling the joke to. In reality, before you tell a joke, you're mapping out in your mind how the joke is going to go over. What we've perceived in past events dictates whether that joke is going to be funny or not within the herd. Thinking about it, also people were drafted for war as a herd. I know this is getting a bit obsessive, but just hang tight with me. They also receive COVID checks as a herd. I guess that implies being part of the herd, you fend for yourself less and at the same time more. Because you want to stick out, you want to be individualistic, but at the same time you don't. It's crazy how one question can send me down such a deep rabbit hole, right? I have my agenda hijacked. Thanks, DJ. This is awesome. I think if you're part of the herd, you might be more likely to rely on someone else for happiness because you follow as a pack. I don't think that's all bad or good. 
I just think that happens. It's again one of those organic things. Submission itself has its perks, given in, because it dodges a fight and it escapes, because the herd survives. It's glamorized to be out on your own now, but I think it can bring you peace to know you're going somewhere that someone else has already gone before. All the road is mentally paved for you before you get there. Roadmaps themselves are nice. Instructions are nice. Information, again, nice. But herds have dialogue. The back and forth is less mundane. The silence of being alone isn't there. I've occupied my mind with that, thinking about the upsides of the herd mentality. You have... You can consult the hive mind about what's going on. You can jump on Google and ask these questions. How to make a Spotify blend for Valentine's Day. What gifts are good on Valentine's Day on Amazon. And look at the reviews and see how the stuff went over. That kind of thing. If you're in the herd, it's okay if someone doesn't put you first. That's deep. So I'm going to run that back. If you're in the herd, it's okay if someone doesn't put you first. Damn, it's laying your ego down. It's okay to follow. It's the best way to get a ride on the bus. You just follow the sea of people and the signs telling you where to go. Which feels easy because it's the path of least resistance. Which that ties into, you know, the art of war a little bit. Maybe that's how culture has been made. So easily a part of us was it was the path of least resistance to like what everyone else has liked in order to give us validation. Validation makes us feel complete and it reassures our efforts. That's, again, more mentality of the herd. How, how we feel being in the pack. And that's really interesting if you think about it. The, the pack dictating our, our interests, the pack dictating, because we don't, in reality, when we get out to drive on roads in the morning, afternoon, evening, and night, <laughs> as I always say, we're always traveling down roads that have already been paved. We're setting up houses where they already have plumbing, most of the time, unless you're off the grid somehow, and you're still paying land taxes because you're really not off the grid. I digress. We're, you know, paying cell phone bills because people have already went to the effort of putting up the cell phone tower so we can get connected with the ones we love. Being grateful, the silver lining of being part of the herd. It's not always good to be part of the pack. Like I said, I deal with that personal issue of when people are talking to me and referring to me as people. And see, I did it because I had to say, when people because I'm using group um, description there. I'm using a group way of describing how I'm addressed. Not all people are just people. They want to feel unique too. It's just interesting to think about. I think it's wise to be aware of what the herd is doing. I think being able to step outside of yourself and be able to realize whether you're partaking or not is a great life skill to have if you're being a part of what the pack is being a part of. If you know what the pack is doing and you have that self-awareness, 
I think that's good for your health. It, it kind of keeps you out of the metaphorical Jim Jones type of situation. If you don't know who Jim Jones is, Jim Jones is the radical pastor who at the beginning of his career was going with a lot of anti-racism messages. And I can't remember. They, I call them radicals because of the end. But at the beginning, I don't think it was so radical. I think it was a little bit more of a modest approach. The guy was just loud. They have past tapes of him. I encourage you to look up and do a little research on Jim Jones if you're above the age of 18 and not an impressionable mind and can handle something that's a little bit gory because this documentary kind of gets down and gory. You see things that are dark. That's where that verbiage, if you've ever heard the phrase, don't drink the Kool-Aid, comes up. Don't drink the Kool-Aid is the herd mentality of the Jim Jones group going from being part of a religious sect, their own religious sect, preaching anti-racism values, moving from state to state within the U.S. to eventually going countrywide. They go to Asia, I believe. I think it was Asia. And while they're there, they're conducting their sermons and stuff there, and they're living off-grid. And all of the people within the congregation have given all their possessions to Jim and Jim's crew and at the time it sold to them as a a prepaved road map herd mentality for freedom and they bought it they bought into it if you look around you and everybody's doing the same thing it's the essence of something being normalized that's not all bad I'm trying to bring the Jim Jones thing, because I'm bringing this whole herd mentality thing down to realism. But it's not all bad. I use an Apple iPhone because everybody else was doing it at one time. That's how I got into it. Everyone else was doing it. And I think I didn't want to be the one with blue text instead of green text. Now Android has made it to where if you like something on the iPhone, it sends something to the Android. The Android has a way of transcribing it. So they're part of the cool kids club. And if they like something, the iPhone looks like Android now. Those subtle things that people do in in packs. I'm sure they had to speak with a board about doing that. Back to Jim. They're off in Asia. The congregation has sold their belongings to him. And they're all thinking they're part of something normal. But some of the young ones are getting that voice, the voice of reason, the voice of God inner morale, something, higher power. They're they're getting DMs from their conscience going, something's not right about this picture here. Jim's wanting us to be awful radical. And under the scenes, and you can see in the documentary, of course, Jim's starting to get a bit more sexual with the power because power always wants more power. He's starting to get more and more brainwashy and I'm your family and you worship me and he's, he's turning everything around. He's twisting and contorting his plan in, in now Asia. They get a visit from a reporter and things go awry. The reporter ends up getting shot at. I think he ends up getting shot and killed. He comes down on a helicopter. Sorry, this is going dark. I'm just uh, mentioning something that happened in history and it's really fun to know the where herd mentality goes. This is too realistic and too dark but like I always say 
had said in, in the last podcast, it's not a bad idea to look evil in the eyes so you can kind of understand it. They're getting shot at, and I'm pretty sure the reporter dies, and they have a bunch of casualties over there, and the thing falls apart. The don't drink the Kool-Aid thing was part of their they, uh, his last-ditch effort to grab onto power, and he wanted to be remembered as part of history that he wasn't going to go down and go live his life in a cage. Kind of like this guy I just recently learned about, Popcorn Sutton. He's a big part of Tennessee history because he lived in the time when moonshine was illegal and not an art form because now they just slap a label on it and put it out there. I guess dilute it. Certain types of moonshine, you have such high alcohol levels, you could clean guns with it. Popcorn Sutton was this, uh, this dirty old man. And he was sneaking moonshine around, put his sister through college with moonshine. And his, uh, his foot marker says, uh, F-U from popcorn, something like that. It's really funny. And he was convicted, and he, he took his own life due to the fact that he wasn't going to go to jail because they found 800 gallons of moonshine on his property because he's off in the boonies somewhere. 800 gallons. Could you imagine that? That's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about the herd mentality. And we're coming up on time to break. I've, I've gotten uh, really carried away on this stuff. I appreciate you guys going with me down the rabbit hole. We're going to start up our next question and get into our next topic here in a second after this brief intermission. Thanks for staying. Welcome back to the episode. Thanks for the intermission. I always appreciate that. About midway, that would be time for our word from our sponsor and gives me a second to catch my breath because I always end up on these tangents. So next thing we're going to do is consult another question from a listener. Blaine's back and uh, he says, I think a good topic for next week that will be along the same lines as previous episodes would be discussing the roles of heroes and or villains in movies. I'm a movie guy, so most of my thoughts can go back to a movie, lol. But I was watching an Instagram reel and it was from this show And one of the main characters starts going on about how Daniel from Karate Kid is the true villain and listing off other traditional heroes and naming them as villains. You know, and that's the one they had the remaster for with uh, Will Smith's kid. Yeah, look what happened to Will. That man has no will to live. God love him. You know... I think I've discussed a little bit of this, but I honestly can't remember if it was one of those things I did in my head that never actually happened, or if it did happen, but I'm going to reprise something that cut deep here a few weeks ago. I was talking to a friend, and they told me, you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I don't think it's like that at all. I think that you can live your whole life as the villain and in the last moments redeem yourself. Kind of like the Darth Vader thing. It's not always black and white like that. Plus, I put a lot of thought into what makes someone a hero. And I think that's a matter of perspective. I know it does have to do a little bit with uh, morality. 
what you consider a hero to be. And then whoever you align yourself with, that ends up being your hero. Weird how that happens. Perspective dictates the hero and the villain. Because hero means you did something heroic, right? Hero, we're, we're talking about bringing that down. You did something heroic, maybe you saved someone. That's what's heroic to me, is if you save someone else, that that makes you a hero. You did you, you laid down your life, you're, you were a hero for your country. The villain, I think someone who does something bad, but the motives behind someone's actions that lead them to the actions they take, yes, they did something wrong, but why? Kind of thing. Was it a crime of passion, or was it to feed your hungry kids at home? That's a complicated one. <laughs> Heroes and villains, that's a really, really complicated one. I know if I had a little bit more time to break that down, it would have been like the herd thing, and I could eat that up a little bit more. It, it reminds me of, if you want to think of a movie, <clears throat> I told you I was on Office Space. The main character of that, that dude's my hero for just giving up, going to the hypnotherapist, being convinced he doesn't care, and going into his day job like, la 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 la, I don't care. That guy's my hero for that. But some could say he's a villain. Stay with me here. Some could say he's a villain because he went into his job and he quit giving a fuck about it. Or since him and his friends got together and make a program where they can steal a fraction of a penny from the company and they actually stole it even though he went to return it that kind of labels him as a nice guy but technically he did something bad does that make him the villain but he's so relatable you want him to be the hero you want him to be the the guy you relate with and maybe you don't relate with the hero more maybe you always relate with the villain more maybe your internal emotion that you relate to more is more things like anger that's what made Kylo Ren in the latest Star Wars movie so relatable. Everybody thinks he's a pretty boy, though, and his writing was really back and forth, and then they shoved him into the romance there. I'm not going to jump off in the Star Wars loop. I'm just talking about when evil characters are a bit more relatable than the good character. Weird. Kind of like Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. That was a very relatable instance. Of course, he goes off the deep end and goes killer but since the whole flick is just with him they force you to have some sort of empathy with evil they're playing devil's advocate with the devil in that movie and you see how the subject of mental health can dictate your decisions and make you off the edge and by the end of it it doesn't end up any better they just play the Frank Sinatra song and he keeps doing what he's doing. He's being true to himself. Everyone kind of across the board knows that that's, I guess, labeled as villainy because it's a villain flick. Joker is described as a villain, but if you play devil's advocate with anybody and you start getting down to their motives because he's misunderstood. I was having a conversation with a friend the other day. He referred to himself as the villain 
which that was really weird. It's weird that this heroes and villains thing keeps coming up. It's coming up now from Blaine asking the show the question, and it was coming up in that topic in conversation. I'm not bringing this stuff about. Anytime you see stuff and it happens a couple times, it kind of has you thinking, is this a simulation? So he brings up to me how life is getting better. And of course I'm happy for him. Anytime somebody's doing better, I only hope it gets better. I heard someone wreck their car the other day. He's like, well, maybe I'll get three grand for it. And I thought, that's not bad. It went up to like seven grand. And he was showing me, he said, you know, prized at, or appraised at eight or 10, they're going to give me seven, five. And I was like, paying $500 for a mistake. What's the downside of that? That's not bad at all. And he's kind of hoping that the dollar value goes up. And I say kind of sarcastically, but I meant it. I, I told him, I hope you get a million dollars for the car. Half joking, half half not. I hope he gets all the money in the world for it if, within realism. It's only going to happen. He's only going to get so much money. But what's wrong with hoping something for someone? Everyone, de- everyone deserves a shot. Everyone deserves a blessing at some point in time. And everyone needs one or break. Someone else said something to me. Another drop of wisdom. He said, it's hard to articulate this and get it right. He said, bad things don't only happen to bad people. What he was implying was karma is a bitch, basically. That's what he was saying. Pardon my French. He was implying that karma is a a bit, you know. And he's implying that you know, you do bad things, bad things happen to you. You do good things, good things happen to you. He was describing the instances that bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. And it's not statistic. The good guy still gets a flat tire. You know, breaks down on the side of the road. Bad, excuse me, bad things always happen to good people too. So that can seem 50-50. You can think it's divine prophecy. You wake up, you're sick. Everybody gets sick. Oh, that brings me back to something I wanted to mention. I ended up going on, I'm sure everybody on the show listening right now has been down one of those Mandela effect pipelines where you just start looking at everything that was the Mandela effect. Was it Bernstein Bears or Berenstein Bears? Did Pikachu have a black tail or a brown tail? And it's always stuff that, kind of like the Rorschach painting thing, you always see what you want to see. And the Mandela effect comes from when Nelson Mandela, people think Nelson Mandela died in 2009 or 2013, that he passed away in jail or something. And then he dies later and everyone's like, I thought Nelson Mandela was already dead. And they go back to quote movies for Blaine to make him happy. They go back to quote movies, Luke, I am your father, but it was never Luke, I am your father. It was like, no, Luke, dot, 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 dot. I am your father, something like that. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) But it's always something that gets misquoted and the mind sees what the mind wants to see. And it brought me to something that captured my attention this week. 
I went to sleep with another form of media going because I'm cramming content in my brain. Evidently, I'm addicted to content. I guess everyone is now. I'm, I'm part of the herd that way. I was watching a podcast by a doctor, Ramjin Chatterjee, I think is his name, and he was talking about holistic medicine. I'm, uh, I'm actually seeing if I can pull up a picture of the guy's name so I'm not getting his name wrong. It's Dr. Ranjan Chatterjee, so how it's spelled is R-A-N-G-A-N space C-H-A-T-T-E-R-J-E-E, so Ranjan Chatterjee. And the podcast, it was a video, Healing Without Medication is the thumbnail, and the best ways to heal chronic pain and trauma without, and you can't really see the rest, but this guy gets into talking, it's two doctors, and they're leaning more into holistic medicine than big pharma, and they're talking about different things. People always jump off into the legalization of marijuana thing, and I know there's definitely a hero and a villain there, I just don't know who's who, but I know the government has a different, I don't want to, I don't, I always kept kept myself getting political, I don't want to get political with it, but I know certain things are put in place to control the populace and the herd, and what these people are talking about is how pain is perceived and how it's neurological. You got to get this. This is wild. And I encourage you to go look at that podcast or YouTube video if you can. Um, I'd like to get fancy enough with my tech that I could have posted a link underneath this, but I'm not quite that fancy yet. That's why you'll have to be patient with me and look it up if you're interested. But he's talking about how pain is perceived and how it's neurological and it comes from your brain, not your body. So let's say you stomp your toe. Your toe isn't telling you that you're feeling pain. Your mind is dictating that what you just felt is pain because it's your natural organic response to what's going on around you. I don't know why this interested me so much. I think it's because certain things that go on around me have managed to, like I I was telling you guys the other day, any kind of media we get into, it kind of clings on to you. Any kind of something you see, it inadvertently becomes part of you and he was talking about how people with chest pains and higher heartbeats and he brought he brings up an interesting statistic about degenerative disc disorder degenerative disc disorder in your back and bulging discs so you would not believe (coughs) excuse me you know how we always hear about people having back problems some people around me anyway I'm, I feel like that's a innate human thing we always hear about someone with a back problem and you go to the doctor and you get it checked out and this one guy this one doctor was seeing a patient and you know holistic medicine we don't really give it enough credit because at one time maybe the Native Americans they had a bunch of healing solutions that were natural for all of these things and we don't know because we are only being exposed to what we see from doctors and the shit healthcare in America or wherever you are if you're listening somewhere else if hopefully you have better healthcare but if you go to the doctor they're most often gonna give you a pill for what you're going through explain to you what you're going through I'm still up underneath a bill for a hospital visit I was admitted 
and I didn't even know I was being admitted to the hospital and I had to pay the bill. <laughs> Somebody was telling me this story the other day about a, an older lady. She wanted to opt out of being taken away by an ambulance if something happened to her because that's how bad the healthcare is in America. She, could, she knew she couldn't afford going to the hospital, so she wanted to opt out of it. And there's no way you can do that. There's no way you can just sign a thing saying, hey, don't take me to the hospital. I can't afford it. And I guess I laugh to keep from crying about that because it's really sad. It's probably something you shouldn't even laugh about. But back onto the topic of what these doctors are talking about. They're talking about your brain's neurological response to pain. It's crazy to think that it doesn't come from your body because your body tells you everything different. If you were to take something and jab your hand right now, your brain tells you that, you know, you just jabbed your hand that hurt, hurts in my hand, pain in my hand. But pain is the receptor that your brain is telling you. It kind of explains how I always do better. I don't know about y'all. I always do better when I go to the dentist and if they're going to shoot me with Novocaine or something, I've always had a fear of needles. But people could always stick me in my mouth all day. And I never understood why. It's because when I'm ever getting my teeth worked on, your your jaw's wide open and your head's back. You're closing your eyes. So since I'm closing my eyes, my physical idea of what pain is, is changed. They tell me, you're going to feel a pinch. Maybe since they're telling me that I'm going to feel a pinch is why I feel a pinch. And that's the needle going in. This is a deep philosophy of thought here. The mind controls everything. It, it controls the stress of everything. These doctors, what they were saying is the brain, I guess, the neurological, not the mind, but I've, I'm talking to it, talking about it like it's the matrix. These, these doctors, what they were getting on about is that the statistics as you get older, it's like 60 or 80% of people past the age of 60 have bulging discs and degenerative discs. And they have a stat that they say of how many people feel pain and how many don't feel pain. And a lot of them, like most of them, don't feel pain. For degenerative disc disorder and bulging discs in their back. Because your mind's not looking at your back. You're, you kind of get used to it as you get older. They also referenced TMJ to be one of those things. I've... I've got a crossbite, so TMJ is always something that I can relate to. That's something I had to get through. Mom and Dad told me it's going to be money for college or money for your teeth. And they co-signed with me to go to college. Of course, I still had the other end of that, which I'm still paying to this day. I'm damn near 30. <laughs> I went to college when I was... I went to community college. Started when, I think I graduated when I was 19. So that's crazy to think about. They make you make all these decisions early on like you've got your life figured out and then you end up not even using that degree. It's crazy. Your element of what you receive from pain goes back to something neurological in your mind. And These doctors were trying to break through a mold of instead of being in the capitalist culture where they're just going to sell you another pill and get you hooked on a pill. It makes me think of somebody back home get you hooked on pills and get you going into this constantly into the drawer you develop a dependency on these pills they want to explain to people what's going on with them with their body and help them through these problems holistically and holistic's been redefined by our culture they all think it's you know this is 
CBD rub for your back. This is going to make you feel better. It's not all this stuff. Sometimes it's people having, highly educated people having the patience to give you the details of what you're actually going through. And they explain how if you're mourning or if you've been through a bad breakup, you can think that you have a heart problem because it literally makes your chest hurt. Because your mind and your brain and your neurological response to pain tells you that your heart hurts. So it kind of comes back to that song uh, where that girl sings, Mama, Can You Die of a Broken Heart? It brings that reality to that, and that's kind of like the Matrix. So Blaine's going to be happy with all these movie references today. How Morpheus says, it's not real, the mind makes it real. And... I don't know if he says that. I, I want to say it's Morpheus. It might be somebody else. What's, what it comes down to is you can think you have a heart problem when you're when you're really just mourning or you're going through a breakup or something. I'm not saying that you're de- you should deter your physical problems. If you ever have physical problems, it's always good to see your doctor. And same thing with mental problems. This is not health advice, and I'm not a health professional. But to think that your mind is that strong that it can hijack the rest of you and start sending responses to you that something's wrong. It's good. It's a good thing. Pain is a good thing. And these doctors explain that so that you know when you twisted your ankle, that you twisted your ankle and you should go easy on that ankle or maybe get it checked out. But they were talking about how much of the things that we go through, if it's not immediate like surgery or you know, an innate problem that runs deeper than the surface. A lot of the problems that we think can't, what, that they have to be solved with a pill, they actually are something going on with the mind, and the mind needs care just like the rest of you does. So take a little time for your mind. Do something thoughtful for someone you love for Valentine's Day, which I think you already did. No, nope. it's two days from now. It tells you my concept of time. Time changes as you get older. It all just phases together. I'm not even older. I'm just middle-aged, and it's still all phasing together. Well, that's just some of what's been on my mind. Thanks for stopping by. This has been the Robert Dowd Show. I'm your host, Robert Dowd, and I hope you have a great rest of your week. You're a beautiful person. Be kind to other people. And uh, like I said, have a wonderful Valentine's Day. And thanks for telling people about the podcast. Thanks for spending time with me. And I'm looking forward to next week. Thanks. Bye.